who saw this temple in its former glory. And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? Or as the uh, King James, the real Bible has it, I think, does it not seem contemptible? Uh, let me remind us of some background of the book of Haggai. There had been, at the death of Solomon, the nation of Israel was divided. And there were two kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdom. The northern king, each one had a king. And the northern kingdom's kings were all wicked and corrupt. And the greater majority of the southern kings and they went away from God. And the Assyrians came to destroy, annihilate, carry off into captivity those of the northern kingdom and intermingle them with the other nations so that those 10 tribes that made up the northern kingdom were lost in all of, of history, really, biblical history. And the southern kingdom was um, is it lightning in here? The southern kingdom was surrounded and, and besieged by the Babylonians. And finally in 586, they carried away into captivity those of the southern kingdom of Judah. The prophets had prophesied that there would be 70 years of captivity. At the end of that 70 years, they would be allowed to return to Jerusalem to rebuild their city and restore the temple. And at the end of 70 years, or at that 70 year, as that 70 years drew to a close, to closure, the king of, of Persia, a phenomenon of history, allowed these Jews to return to Jerusalem to begin to rebuild their city. Ezra and Nehemiah led in the reconstruction of the city of Jerusalem, the walls of the city and of the temple itself. And the construction began on the temple, which was, as we made note of last week, was to be the focal point of their life. In other words, their life was to revolve around God. And so they began the reconstruction of the temple, rebuilding it. And after a little while, enthusiasm began to wane because of outside opposition and because of indifference and involvement in, in domestic affairs. People began to put that on a back burner, so to speak. And the real issue is not that they stopped building the temple. The real issue was that they began to to uh, edge God out to the peripheral, and they begin to shove him out to a secondary position. And in place of God being in the center of their life, they became the center of their universe. And God began to be um, uh, moved out to, the, out to the external, to the secondary. It's what's, what we refer to as practical atheism. They begin to live as though God were a secondary matter to them. They did not deny his existence. They just lived as though he didn't exist or that he didn't matter. And so God sent prophets, two post-exilic prophets, back to Jerusalem to 
um, encourage the people to get on with a business of bringing to the center of their life, to get back to the place where God was the center of their life, where He had a primary position, where He was first in their life. Those prophets are Haggai and Zechariah. Now Haggai came to this city to find that the um, temple had, you know, was not only being neglected, but the work had come to a grinding halt and nothing was being done. And so he wrote this book to stir them to enthusiasm, to, to, to rebuilding the temple. And in order to do that, he, he does several things, but one thing we, that's primary tonight in chapter two is he began to hold up before them a future glory, a glorious future in order to inspire them to get on with the business of, of, of building the temple, he began to show them this, this potential, this possibility, this glorious future that God had for Israel, for Jerusalem, and for them in particular. But this glorious future had to be seen in the background, against the background of a present um, uh, neglect, a present evil, a present failure. So note the words in verse three. What is left? Now, there's some discussion about what he's talking about in verse three. It had been 18 years since they were allowed to go back to Jerusalem, and it had been 70 years of captivity, and if my math, my math, if my math is correct, that's 88 years since the time the temple was destroyed and were in this present moment when Haggai was the prophet. And there is some discussion, is he talking about the fact that there were some people now in Jerusalem who had been alive when the temple Solomon built, that glorious temple in Jerusalem was still standing and they could remember it. And was he saying, was this what do you have now in the present? How does it compare with that glorious temple that was built under Solomon in Jerusalem prior to the Babylonian destruction? Or was he saying, is this that you have now, how does it compare with what you dreamed when you came back to Jerusalem to rebuild it? And does, how does it compare? What is it like in comparison? to what you thought it would be like, what you dreamed it would be like, what you planned for it to be like. Now, what I learned in the seminary way back when Moses was an RA, if you don't know which is which, you just take both of them, you know. But I, I, it's my humble and accurate opinion that he's talking about the latter. This is what he's saying. He's saying what you have here now is nothing like what you hoped and dreamed and planned for it to be. Now remember that he's not talking about this temple, physical structure only. He's talking about this, this life, this which we erect to God, this which we offer to Him, this which we've given to Him. Is this your life now? Is it really, does it really compare? How does it measure up to what you planned and dreamed when you first found the Lord? Let me ask you that question in comparison to what you promised and what you dreamed and what you planned when you offered your life up to God for the very first time. How does your life measure up to that tonight? 
all the tragedy of what might have been. There is a little passage over in the book of Hebrews. I believe it's in the 11th chapter. I know it is because i got it here in my nose. Where it talks about these faithful people who, you know, and he names them. He starts out with Abraham and Moses and names all these heroes. It's this great chapter on the heroes of the faith. And then he says, these all having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised. What a sad thing that people died before they saw the realization of their dream. Let me tell you something worse than that. It's when a person outlives his dream. That's worse than that. Now you can kind of get an illustration of that if you go to any nursing home in Durant, America. Just walk in the door and you see people, many of them, who are sitting there waiting to die, who have outlived their dream. But I have a feeling that when I stand and preach on Sunday morning, Sunday night, in most cases, in, in, in most congregations, there are people who have lived longer than their dream and what they planned and what they are is no comparison. As a matter of fact, what they are with regard to what they thought they would be and what they dreamed they would be is contemptible. When I first moved to Durant, now you don't try to figure out who this is, he's long gone. When I first moved to Durant, I went to, to uh, Falls Creek with the kids. And one evening, one afternoon, we were walking over to, to the tabernacle for the service, and there was a kid who was in high school at that time walking with me. And we were talking about um, how many times, you know, how much Falls Creek meant to, you know, people and what wonderful things happen at Falls Creek and all those kinds of things that we were, you know, happen. And, and then we got into this conversation as we were walking along there, true story, we, we, you know, that mo a lot of times we, we have these experiences at Falls Creek, you know what I'm talking about, and you get home and it doesn't take long until, you know, the, the, the enthusiasm wanes and the commitments die, etc. And this is what he said. He said, Gerald, I know that happens, but he said, I'm, I'm going to tell you, it's never going to happen to me. He said, I'm not going to be like other kids that I know in high school. True story. He said, I'm not going to be like them. I'm going to promise. I know that I'm not. He said, I'm going to live my life for God for the rest of my life. And he said, I have absolutely no doubt about that, no question in my mind at all. Everything that God wants my life to be like, I'm going to, it's going to be that way, and I'm not going to be like the other people. I'd like to tell you, he realized his dream, but I can't. Moved out of town, and his life, I keep up with him a little. And so God says, how your life measures up to what you dreamed it would be, and, and, and get a quick overview of their life will say, I never meant for it to ever glory, has to be seen in light of present failure. Second. And so he says in verse 4, 
But now take courage, Zerubbabel. The people of the land, take courage. And so that word is, 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 is used. Don't you love it when somebody says to you, yeah, you need to be brave, you know, and you're scared. You, don't, you know, you just need to have faith. Well, that's easier said than done. So, you know, give him some source of strength and some reason for courage. It's imperative, be, take courage on two things. The first thing he bases, God is present. Now, it's not too difficult for a person to be this thing with him. And I suppose that there is very little than any with him. It's kind of like a little boy goes to school. The, um, the school bully agreed about that. Not that I was the bully. The bullied. It gets about a block from school and the, and the school bully comes out and beats him up. Look forward to getting beat up. So one day his brother who, like, a, like he's chiseled out a stone, he says, hey bud. And so when they step up on the campus out from behind the shrubs, a friend, and all of a sudden brother steps in, wipes him up on the, you know, he goes to school, brother's with him. Gets about a block on uh, the sheriff, you know, <clears throat> just kind of sniffs and feels pretty. Um, that's what the Apostle Paul be afraid, don't be afraid. And he bases in the following verses. One thing about him, he said that song, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and to set him. Why would you fear anything when the Lord of hosts is with you? That is, the one who comes to the land of Egypt. I made you a promise, and that promise was, I'm going to preserve loyal. Not only is he present, not only is he the commander of the armies of heaven, but and place them at your disposal. That is the enemy nations. There's some history behind that. I want to Exodus. Gave the wrong reference and got choked up about it. Bondage is what he says. And I will grant this people favor in the silver, articles of gold, and clothing, and you will put them on your son. Some things when you, you know, you open your Bible and you think, well, somebody slipped in. Let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you. Now the sons of Israel had done according to the way that they do. They go to their slave master and say, could you give us some silver and some gold? And God's prophet Haggai told the people, be of good courage, future glory, demands the shed. Now this once more in a little while, it had, a, it had an implication of a, far, of a more far-reaching four winds and Titus Andronicus came in AD 70 and left God will come as the result of God's shake. And what does it mean? And what is God doing in the day? Not only is it a testimony that God is, in fact, there's some of you here tonight who are experiencing this shaking of the thing, this shaking of those found except nominality. God will shake your life to change you because He is the, what do they call them? Was it called kaleidoscopes? Is that what they call them? Every, every kid has played with them so that just the shaking is changing you. Second, there is the shaking of the other than in the material. 
And about the time we find, we think that we, things that can be shaken might be shaken. I want you to turn quickly. I'll, Even they will perish, but thou dost endure. Established before thee. What he's saying is that he shakes the universe, that the things that are for them and we're out of here. First, must be taken seriously. Now, institutional, several now, probably, we went through this trauma in, 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 in religion, like a kind of a floating crap game. Find out where they are tonight and go there. But there should not be an address and a place where they have a home, where they have fellowship and love and that share individual Christian as such. Now, Christian inheritance of God and the saints. And what he's talking about there is, is that there's some things because the institution is essential and vital to Jewish life. Number two, and those things that remain like evaluation and assessment, that's a worthy assessment of what really counts in life. Who go through trauma, and I was visiting tonight a little bit before church with Texas. You, you, you know about those. Little town up near Amarillo, destroyed in a terrible accident. I have a pa pastor, a Baptist preacher, in the morning. He preached a funeral Thursday afternoon. He preached five funerals, evaluating what is really important in life. Let them go if they pass away. Ours is a world in process where the Democrats were replaced by the Republicans. I don't suppose that there has been. Ours is a world in process, a nation in process. Absolutely amazed every Sunday I go there. I don't know half the folks there anymore. Change. There was a time when this church was, I suppose I wasn't here, but I thank God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory. We are people in process, and, and, and God forbid that we'd ever reach a time where no generation can live without hope. Standing there with a group of people who had just gotten back from exile, they had, and he's standing there is the prophet bringing some word from God, I shall give shalom. Um, got off a plane, got on a bus, and headed for a hotel way in the middle of the night alive in Israel. She said, you won't even recognize it. You'll see so many changes, you won't even recognize it from 1986, 10 years ago. She said, you know, they're coming in here, people are pouring into Israel from all over the world. There's so many people coming from Russia, we've had to change the signs from Hebrew, not only have them in Hebrew and English, but in Russian as well, because there are people, migrations of Russian Jews coming back to Jerusalem. And she was excited. She said, you're going to have a great week because you're going to see the glory of this restored land like you've never seen it before. And so God says, I'm going to bring about such glorious change that's our hope. Our hope is this world's going to get better. Our hope is this church is going to go through its process and become a New Testament church in the purest, truest sense. Our hope is, is that there's going to be in us this new heart that loves everyone who is passionate for souls, whatever it takes to bring us to that place, even
Lord, let it be. For no generation can live without hope. What's going to happen is greater than anything you've ever seen before. I uh, should quit, but I had lunch today with a businessman coming to town, Mike Sitton. He's excited about Durant. And we sat there at dinner table, at the lunch table, and he told about all this new industry, Paul, he's talking about, that, that might eventually someday make this, this community, this, this area, like the, the shipping capital of the country, southern Oklahoma. Warehouses, three major uh, opportunities coming into Durant for their warehousing and trucking. And man, he was excited. And I thought, boy, what a great time to be alive. The best is coming about. Let's pray. Our Father, Lord, help us to take stock and assess our dream. Where are the dreamers? Where are the people who have visions of the future? Where are the people who believe that, that God is doing a work in the world and and because we're related to Him, that victory, that good, that success is ours. God, we thank You that we're on the right side. And I pray that we'll be the kind of people that would please You in all we do. For I pray in Jesus' name. Now there are three invitations. Maybe you'd like to come tonight to give your life to Christ. The, this hand of God just keeps on uh, shaking your life, bringing about, getting your attention. Maybe you'd like to say, finally, I want to surrender my life to God. I want to be His. I want Him to save me. Or maybe as a Christian, you'd want that that which he desires of you which is the very best you can be the potential that you have is so much greater than I have than we're we're seeing that we're accomplishing God here's my life I want you to make me everything you want me to be while we stand to sing we invite you to come